Welcome. I'm Lauren Rosen, licensed marriage and family therapist. And I'm Kelly Frankie, licensed marriage and family therapist. And this is Purely OCD. Kelly and I are OCD specialists who happen to also be in recovery from OCD ourselves. Each week we meet to talk about all things OCD, one topic at a time. You may notice we try to bring a little levity and humor to our discussion around this deeply painful disorder, as this has been a very powerful tool for our own recovery as well as our clients. If you'd care to join us, we record live on Mondays at 12.30 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube. We generally answer a few questions from our live viewers related to whatever topic we're covering that week. And if there's a topic you'd like covered, you can also submit a request on our website, purelyocd.com. And if you do find this podcast helpful, please leave us a review so we can gain more visibility to reach more people like yourself and help spread awareness of what it's like to live with OCD. Quick reminder, this is not intended as therapy or as a replacement for therapy. This is for educational purposes only. So without further ado, here is this week's episode. Welcome, everybody. We're here to talk about some existential OCD today. How's it going? It's it's going. It's going. Is it going? Going well. Good. Excellent. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're going to talk about obsessions today and the first of our, we've been doing these three-part series on the different OCD subtypes and, and here we are with existential. Do you want to st- start us off by maybe talking a little bit about what existential OCD is and what kind of obsessions we see in? Yes. Beautiful. So existential is broad um, and we can see it manifest in many ways Um And it could be based on like, is any of this even real? What is it, you know, what if it's not? What if I'm, this is really a simulation? What if um, I'm not, even like, I would say like not enjoying this exact moment because I'm existentially concerned about my impending death or living my Mm. best life. Yeah. I don't know. No, for sure. So like branch off of it. Well, yeah, but to your point, there are so many different branch offs of this mm-hmm. particular subtype. I'm trying to think. So, yeah, what you're saying of uh, maybe I'm not enjoying this particular moment enough. And it's almost like a, a double hitter, that last one you said, right? It was. It, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, what if I'm not enjoying this moment enough because. I've already been triggered and I'm already having these obsessions about death, which would also sort of fall into the existentially themed category. Right. Um, Even the, the religious obsessions too can kind of, they start to branch off naturally, right. Is like, what's the purpose and meaning. So like, it's God real. That's like scrupulosity, religious OCD, but it can definitely start to build from here. Yes. On the existential, if if any, what's the point of life? Is any of this real? Um, yeah. Yeah, and to your point, like we see a fair amount of crossover in those definitely two subtypes. Um, it's mm-hmm. not a, it's not a far reach. And I've yeah, you know, I've actually, I recently on on the OCD stories was talking about my own lived experience with uh, existential OCD, and even in my own story, you can kind of see that because it was like, well, what if I don't go to heaven? And then what if heaven's 
what if I don't like heaven? Right? Like there was a lot of it was like it was certainly related to religion, and there was it, there were in moments fears that like I'm not doing life correctly, um, yeah. and I need to observe whatever particular way my seven year old self was like help. I need to make sure I go to heaven, but then what if I don't like heaven? So, you know, it, <laughs> it can hit in so, so many ways, but I think that's true. You're right. It's like, it's the nature of reality, the nature of life and death, right? It's sort of, I mean, I don't know that we have like a dictionary definition on existential, but it's, mm -mm. that's all of those questions of like, what, what is real? What's not real? What, what is the meaning of life? It's a broad category. It is. It could be, you know, uh, if somebody even feels like the subtle amount of dissociation, they might go, oh, what if this isn't really real? Am I really me? Am I yes. just, am I in a coma somewhere? Or is this the Truman Show? You know, it's yeah. like, it can get real weird in there quick. Yeah. Am I yeah. alive? That's a really good one too. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I like the, if, am I in a, what if I'm in a coma? Um, but it brings, you bring up a really good point. <laughs> I mean, Where I don't like it. would you ever hear someone say, ooh, I really like that one? <laughs> Other than an OCD therapist. Who has OCD? No one. I don't no think. One. No. no one. That's a really fine. good point. Cheers. Cheers. Um, I think you also bring up a really good point though, which is that dissociation can be a huge trigger for people with this particular subtype. Um, so you have this feeling and I'd love to sort of chew on this with you as well. Like we talk about quote feeling unreal, but mm. that's always struck me as being, it's being a comparison, right? It's, it's, as and as though there's a feeling real, do you know what I mean? And I, I kind of conceptualize it as I don't, I don't like this particular iteration of what I feel. Right? It's it's more like a judgment than it is really. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like for sure, a, feeling a sense of of distance or um, yeah, like there's a delay in your experience of the present moment is kind of what's happening. And the only reason I say that is sometimes you end up re-triggering yourself with the language that you use, right? You're like, oh, well, <laughs> it's, I feel unreal. It's like, well, wait a second. Like, what is, what does unreal feel like? And what, like, you know, given that I, you know, I, yeah. I don't know that, does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Um, it's interesting, like as a child, I remember I would, I had a lot of like this dissociation ability that I thought was a superpower because I could just like put myself into a dissociative state, which yeah. is, it's a really cool thing to be able to do. I mean, it's not ideal. You don't want people to be able to do that. That's like a trauma response. <laughs> yeah, that is legit. So, Oftentimes yeah. a trauma response. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't figure out until literally, I think the end of grad school that not everybody had that ability to do that. Mm. But um, that said, dissociation as a trigger is a big deal. And I think it goes back to the feeling, like to say what you're saying about the feeling real. You can feel when you're highly dissociated, like you're out of your body. And it's really uncomfortable. But the problem is, is the more we obsess about it, like we're just compulsing really, like mentally compulsing over it, then 
the likelihood of your dissociative dissociative feelings are going to go up because you're more anxious and you're hyper-focused on the feelings and sensations. Totally. And you're less engaged in the present moment, right? Like it's so every time you hyper-focus to your point, it's you're getting further and further away from actual reality, right? You're like living right. in your brain. So it, does, it makes totally. sense that it doesn't really help. Um, yeah, no. And certainly I know with, uh, derealization, well, depersonalization in particular, that sense of sort of floating outside of yourself, um, comes up for sure. Yeah. And, you know, there's varying degrees. Everybody dissociates on a certain level all day throughout the day, Mm -hmm. um, driving, showering, all different places are common for dissociative experiences, but somebody with anxiety might hyper-focus on that and then go, well, how do I know that that's really my hand making that decision mm-hmm. to turn my signal on? I've, right. I, I, I've done that. I'm yes. Not lie. Yeah. I'm, I've been like, mm, is that really me making that decision? Ooh, and you know where this gets really fun, actually. So um, I don't I know, know why exactly I never. Where you're going with yeah, it. I know you do too. <laughs> um, so it's it's funny because, and Kelly knows all of this, but for anyone listening, I uh, my husband was is uh, really interested in philosophical questions. Of course, he is. Which yes. you know, philosophical questions are just the the opening to a lot of existential anxiety. <laughs> As yeah, it turns out, I also really like existential questions. And to Me be too. honest, and we are both in this realm where we don't, uh, neither Kelly nor I really avoid that nowadays, Mm-mm. right? Mm-mm. We we kind of launch into it and you're, there, there's a willingness to sort of be with that, that yeah. floating sort of like, okay, <laughs> yeah. uh, experience that comes up. But um, he- Free will. Yep he loves the topic and I actually, I found it fascinating. And I think of it as part of my recovery that he, mm-hmm. he actually, uh, I don't know who, if it was Sam Harris in, in dialogue with somebody else, but talking about the concept. The point. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And yeah. And then Annika Harris, his wife, like actually wrote mm-hmm. a book on perception. Right. Oh, so, Jesus. um, Help. Yeah. So they're, they're just, they're, they're a trigger, triggering couple. Um, but yeah, he talks about the, the question of free will and whether or not it exists and boy, oh boy. I remember going to Kelly and being like, wow, this, <laughs> this is a lot. I remember being at dinner with you guys and being like my eyeballs popping out of my head. And I was like, you know, I really like this conversation and I'm noticing I'm getting very triggered laughing all the way through it, of course. Totally. But but that, that, that sense of, I especially experience this with existential anxiety personally, Mm. the, of the bottom falling out Mm -hmm. that like, like the, the sense of falling, whether you are on a roller coaster or in a, um, in a elevator or what, like that, that, that stomach falling thing comes up a lot. I find with this because it's, I mean, in some ways it's the ultimate unknown, I think. Yeah. And maybe, maybe an unknown that everyone to some greater or lesser extent has to contend with. Whereas. Because death is inevitable. 
it's yeah, it's coming for you. It's coming for me. It's coming for all of us. So yeah, that's an interesting, I guess I've never really considered that or thought about that. Um, that it's obviously not to the same degree as with OCD and certainly some of these topics that are a little bit, uh, more nuanced, like what if I'm living in a simulation? Not everyone's going to have that thought. Mm-hmm. Or what if I'm I living in a coma? Real? Yeah, yeah. How do I know? They might be engaging with like looking at other, we'll talk about this in future episodes when we talk about compulsions, but it can even come up as like looking at somebody else outside mm. of a conversation to see if they are acting that you're real. Meaning mm. if you weren't really there and you're like a ghost or like this invisible this, yeah, if nobody has this obsession, this is the first time you're hearing about it, it gets real wild in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, are they, really to me? Yeah, are they responding? Are they looking to see if I'm really here? Um, yeah. It can get, it can yeah. spin out into the six. Of- the sixth sense really did a lot. Of- <laughs> oh <my laughs> got, God. got in there like, oh, shoot. What if I'm, yeah, spoiler alert, I guess. But uh, what if I'm Bruce Willis, right? And I'm just walking around thinking I'm all alive and stuff. No, it's, it Mm. really does get a little bit, yeah, really out there. But the question of, am I living my life in a way that is like effective or that I, that's authentic or like all of those And we're getting into moral scrupulosity too, but I think those questions are so common for any human being to ask. They're very philosophical. Just think of existential as like the philosophical version of OCD. Yeah. We're the philosophers of OCD. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, So yeah, I think the matrix also is something I do think a lot of movies, you mentioned the Truman show earlier are, Mm -hmm particularly triggering in this realm and have probably, you know, become central obsessions for a lot of people when they are introduced to these ideas, just like the idea of being in a simul- simulation that I think I always attribute that to Elon Musk came out with an article or something about it. Right. And then, and everyone- that, well, and then they did a movie kind of interviewing other philosophers and oh. people from MIT like these extremely smart people. It's a documentary called A Glitch in the Matrix. It's a good time for a good uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie. I was pretty anxious. I was like, okay, that's great. <laughs> All these smart people are telling me some really crazy shit, man. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm going to have to check that one out. I can't believe I've never yeah. heard of it. This is literally the first time I am. Um, missing out on a good exposure, my friend. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I love those. So, um, no, I've definitely texted you and I said, have you heard of this, uh, simulation theory? And you're like, yes, I have. (laughs) Is this the Elon Musk one? I was like, yes, it is. And then you're like, cool. Like, yeah. 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 I just, I didn't realize I, I, yeah. And I think you were talking about watching a movie. Um, I didn't realize what the movie was called. Yeah. So now I've got it. Now I, now I can go after it. Yeah. yeah. The, um, in terms, well, and I know that we're jumping the gun here a little bit, but you know, one of the things the, that 
like that, the show, the leftovers, right. can be particularly triggering mm. for people. Well, not that it was a hugely popular show, but this idea that, you know, I think it was 4% of the world's population just vanished. And it's the people who are left over sort of trying to figure out what happened. Mm. Um, it's like lost. Ooh. Yeah. Lost can get. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. All of it. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of things that come up, I think within the culture at large can sort of transition into obsessions in this, in this realm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, it is interesting to see how they all, it's, I know we're talking about these in broad strokes of like, you know, these subtypes, but gosh, they manifest so uniquely to everybody, don't they? They really do. Yeah. Yeah, they do. It's, and it's, it's and hard to categorize them. Well, and as we've talked about historically, and we were talking about recently at the International OCD Foundation Conference, like it's not, it's not clean cut. Mm-mm. And it's, and in some ways we, we really don't want to get too hung up on the different subtypes. We no. can recognize that there are some challenges that are unique to the different subtypes, but ultimately what we're talking about is doubt and uncertainty and um, in the same way, we were talking to a bunch of clinicians about this idea that when we're treating OCD, we were also maybe can look at OCD as part of a broader syndrome that includes anxiety disorders. Um, so that there's, because I think being able to generalize this to all sorts of realms, this work is so helpful and it yeah. really is. I mean, yeah. If we're talking about like through the uncertainty lens, how many times in the day I'm faced with some type of anxiety trigger unrelated to OCD, but it's like a real life thing. And my brain's like, oh, well, you should, you know, we should consider thinking about this more because it's really happening. Mm -hmm. And maybe you'll solve the problem by thinking about it more. But knowing my brain and OCD is like, uh, well, Problem solving is different than rumination, Kelly. Let's just sit with this uncertainty. <laughs> is <laughs> like is there a problem the actually to be solved right now, or is yeah. this just me wanting to solve yeah. something that's that's unresolvable? Yeah, it's a powerful experience when you can get to that point of generalizing. I do think when a new quote unquote a new OCD subtype comes on board, it can be really like. Uh, disorienting yeah disorienting destabilizing totally and then people will get you know thrown off a little bit but for the most part they're going to respond much easier knowing the skills absolutely and honestly and this is again lots of personal stuff today instead like i mean it it's all informed by the clinical as well but i think one of the best tools for relapse prevention for me is just the recognition that that certainty is an illusion. And I think like that awareness serves me in so many realms to your point earlier, like that even realms that might not ultimately, you know, turn into OCD or, you know, like turn into like 
compulsively and that like sort of cuts them off at the past. Like I see a therapist intermittently still because I think it's important as a therapist and, and as a, as a human, like it's very helpful with OCD. It's very helpful for me, but mostly the conversations are, wow, it's really hard to live with uncertainty as opposed to, you know, like, well, what about this? Or can I like, like bartering with the uncertainty, if that makes sense? Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. So, you know, going back to existential, don't get too alarmed if you don't hear us talking about you know, whatever obsession that you think has fallen into this category, or if you are seeing an OCD therapist that are like, oh, this is existential OCD. Like if anything, it would be helpful if somebody were listening to this, that they comment on our YouTube or share it mm. with us personally, whatever. So we can share, you share it to the public and people will be like, oh yeah, that makes me feel less alone. And that's such a you good know, point. Yeah. that's really the 50% of the reason we do this, the other percent being that we want to educate people, but yeah. It's, yeah, it's super helpful. It is super helpful. And to your point earlier, it's like this can manifest in so many different ways. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, it, it, that is tough, right? When it becomes triggering that, oh, well, they didn't talk about my subtype or my exact iteration, you know? Um, in fact, it's, it's really funny. I didn't, I don't think I'd ever heard of somebody with the exact, um, like the fears about like being afraid of eternity really, um, mm. until many, many years after I had those concerns. So, yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, it wasn't until I started sharing my story in a public setting like here or on the OCD stories or in other interviews that a few people have emailed me or messaged me and been like, oh, my obsession was like that as well. And I'm like, wow, I wish I knew this person existed, you know, eight yeah. years ago because I was really stuck in that. Like I really didn't know that and it's not like I needed reassurance. I just needed someone to be like, oh, yeah, that, that's a variety of harm. I just wasn't as, I guess, confident in it in that you read everybody else's main obsessions and you're like, oh, yeah, that can. But I'm thinking, oh, well, this is just real and I should just keep perseverating right. over it. Right. This is I'm, I'm going to miss out on something that I should genuinely be concerned about uh, yeah. because not everyone's talking about it. That actually happened with uh, my fears about relapsing on a piece of tiramisu as well. I was like, I'm, yeah, oh yeah. Well, because, and I think people talk about it a lot more now. Like they I've, do. I, since I've been sort of talking to more people about it, like you said as well, mm -hmm. that, um, that that's shifted somewhat. However, it's pretty niche, you know, and, and people don't necessarily, you know, it's uh, you have to be a sober person and also in, in the realm of, uh, an abstinence oriented uh, recovery plan and also have OCD and then get tripped up on contamination. So it's like, yeah, all the cards have to be right. Yeah. To get to do a good layup for that obsession. Yeah. 
Although it treated something similar a few times. For sure. And that's the thing. In the years past, it's it's clear that I'm not the only one who's had this. Um, but I think it was – it, and not that it stood in the way of my recovery ultimately because I was like, okay, I'm just mm-hmm. going to – I'm going to accept that I might have relapsed and this is – I'm just going to go with it and see what happens. Um, well, you had an OCD therapist too. I sure right? did. Yeah. I sure did. So that was very, very, very helpful. Yeah. They were um, like, well, this is OCD. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and and one of the things that they explained to me was that the, it wasn't the fear itself that was OCD. It was the back and forth and back and forth and back and forth well, and yeah. trying to figure it out that was OCD. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, but it, just hearing that other people have been through that now, especially because it doesn't, that one really doesn't bother me. Um, it's, it's still nice to, to have that sense of, oh, there are other people who understand that particular experience and know what that's like. Yeah. Not that I wish that for anyone else, but. Right. No. No. And, and part of it might be that just that lack of education that people aren't aware that that's OCD. Right. Right. So that's so true. Yeah. Well, any okay. other last thoughts on the obsessions that, that come up in, in the context of existential OCD? Um, no, I, I think we covered it, you know, like what's the purpose and meaning of life? What happens after death? Um, is any of this real? Mm. And yeah. And if anyone has any more, they'd like us to add, we can definitely, add it to the next part in this series. Yep. Absolutely. So uh, it, yeah, reach out it's to us and let us know. It's just such a huge, I, I'm offering because it's such a huge spectrum of totally iterations, like you said. Absolutely. It's probably worth uh, letting our listeners know too, because I have not yet, um, that there is going to be a break coming up, a, a substantial oh, yes. break, because I will be on leave. Um, while you can't really tell from uh, my current positioning, I am quite pregnant uh, <laughs> and expecting uh, to be giving birth at the end of August-ish. So um, we are kind of winding things up. Um, in fact, this may be the last subtype that we end up getting to cover before before the long pause, but worry not. Like, like it or not, we'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Um, anyway, so that's yeah. that. All right. Well, okay. thank you, friend, as thank always, you. and thanks all for joining. Thanks for joining us. Just as a reminder, this podcast is not therapy, nor is it intended as a replacement for therapy. If you need further support, we encourage you to seek treatment with a registered professional who specializes in OCD. If you have a moment, we'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to leave us any feedback by reviewing us on your podcast app of choice. You can find past episodes on our website at purelyocd.com. Remember, this podcast is for you, so please let us know what you would like to hear. We want to make our message as helpful as it can be. We hope you will join us in the future as we continue our discussion on all things OCD. OCD.